Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are finishing up our series. We're talking about loving local and what that looks like and how do we love locally and how important that is. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about um, some of the obstacles that come with that, some of the fears that go with that, trying to love other people. And we talked about some things that say people are important. So uh, people are important to us because why? They're important to God. I mean, your Candy Crush high score might be important to you, but I don't think that's all that important to God. So what we want to be, um, we want to spend time and effort and money and time on the things that are important to God, and what's important to God is people, and what's important to God are relationships. So today, that's where we're going to be finishing up, and we're going to be talking kind of on um, what it takes, just practically what is necessary to try and spend time with people. So we're going to talk a little bit about some architecture things. You've only got so many Legos we talked about last week. You've only got so many Lego connections. So we talked about different people have different number of connections. So what we meant by that is you are built in a certain way. Some of you have all kinds of blocks and you can connect to all kinds of different people. Some of people are more of a one-block people. That doesn't really matter. God takes introverts, he takes extroverts, and he's saying this. Invest in the relationships that you're wired to do. Invest in those relationships that God has given you. Maybe that's 50 people, maybe it's 10 people, and maybe it's really just two people. But if you have those two relationships, spend time in those relationships and spend time what's important. A um, little bit of Latin lesson today. Remotus and versus propin. Now, just in Latin, so just if you get tested on Jeopardy or something like that, you, that's not just propinquus. If you have two vowels in a row, you have to pronounce both of them. So it's super awkward. So you have to say propinquus. Okay? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make you do it out loud because you'll never use that word again in your entire life. These are opposites. So now I feel like I'm on Sesame Street. These are opposites. So remotus versus propinquus are opposites. Remote is very obvious, right? We have a remote control. That means you, you're far away from it and you click the buttons and then it works, right? If we actually had a control where you had to touch it, we would call it a propinquus because you'd actually have to go very near versus far. All right, this is really, like, Grover is picturing in my head. So you have propinquus. Now, there's a, there's a term that they start using when they start talking about relationships, and this came about in the 1950s, propinquity. Has anyone heard of this term? Okay, maybe. Um, I didn't until I was reading a book. So I suppose that's how you learn all words, right? I don't know where else besides sermons. So propinquity is talking about the, the, the connection that happens within proximity. They call this the proximity effect. And they, the reason they came up with this, researchers, was at MIT after World War II, they had an influx of married students. They had more students than they could handle. So of their, I think, 5,000 students at MIT, I don't know how big it is today. Um, I know I wasn't one of those students. So of the 5,000 students at MIT, 3,000 of them were these married guys, often married, that came back from the war. And so they had to come up with dorm rooms for them to stay. So this is known as, I think, West Side or West Village. They bought used structures. They brought um, from three different places. But they started to do a study on how they interacted. And one of those studies said, imagine this, this is pretty deep stuff. People in the same dorm became better friends than people who weren't. Hmm? Pretty deep, right? People on the same floor were more likely to be friends, and people who were near the stairway actually became friends with people on both levels, multiple levels. So this is the big study of 
the proximity effect. And this makes sense as we talk about what does it mean to love your community locally. So there's a, people that picked up on this, and there's a change, at least in the tech world, to try and create places where you run into people at work. So they've experimented this for years and years. They've done pods. Does anyone have like a pod at work? Versus just like this central office, you go to your office, you shut your door. That's what your boss does. But everyone else has to kind of hang out in the same area. So Yahoo has revoked mobile work privileges. So if you want to work for Yahoo, you're not going to be able to work from home. Why do you think they do that? It's pretty hard to be creative and collaborate over the phone. We ran into this actually with our architect. Um, we switched architects, but it is really hard to do design work over the phone. Like, it's actually terrible. It's actually terrible to be on the phone with anyone. Like, you're trying to figure out who's talking and then talk through concepts. It feels like things go at about one quarter speed because most of us are surfing the internet while someone else is talking, right? I mean, this is why it's going slower. So they moved away from that, and some of the people who pushed on this, innovators, would be Steve Jobs, no longer alive. When he was setting up the office for Pixar, they said this was like his movie because he spent so much time and so much money, and he wanted this, just the right seating so that they could have this collaborative kind of effect. So one of the things that they said was they wanted one centralized area for the bathrooms. That was his idea, which works awesome unless you have to go to the bathroom. So then they got rid of that idea. This was not a good idea. But his goal was that you would go to this centralized place you'd run into people. So this moves on to the Googleplex. Has anyone visited the Googleplex? Google took this. They have like cafes and comfortable chairs. They have like these pods where you can sleep. Have you seen any of this? It's kind of fascinating. Um, man, if I was just smart, I could maybe work there and had this awesome. You guys are going to come to my office? I'm going to have my own sleep pod. It's going to be that, Yam that Amazon box, but it's my own sleep pod. So they have places where you can rest, they have places you can get a massage, places where you get a haircut, place, they want all of everything taken care of so you can just concentrate on your work. So the other great example is uh, Facebook just built their new things. This is from the Facebook headquarters. It's not like a centralized building, but they have a theme of like a downtown. So they have, it, does anyone know anyone who works for Facebook? There's free food, there's free candy at the candy store, right? All about health at Facebook. Uh, there's free, they can get free food, they have free happy hours some weeks. That sounds like a great idea. Um, that one of the real innovators for the workplace was right here. Um, so you can see we have a centralized bathroom system so we can hang out and then kind of that same kind of feel. For those of you who are visiting, this is the building we just bought. Um, this is also that same picture. So this all seems kind of innovative, right? We want people to collaborate. They want people to run into each other. Google does not allow you to be 150 feet from food. The idea is that you run into people and you function. And anyone who's worked somewhere knows creativity happens when you run into people. It's very difficult. You can function on your own for a while, but in order to make this happen, that's what they did. It all sounds super innovative until you think about the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, if you think about the life of Jesus, he's not one of these like preacher guys who makes sure like the green M&Ms are all lined up and then he shows up, preaches, and then says, that's it for the night, and he walks away, and he gets on the tour bus and goes. But when you think of the life of Jesus, think about how often that Jesus interacted people when you would not have wanted to. So think, think just, I'm going to give you full 30 seconds. It's going to be awkward after seven, uh, but I'm going to give you a full 30 seconds. Think of things in Jesus' life where he interacted people, with people and you would not have wanted to. It was awkward after seven because <laughs> you got 15 more seconds. 
All right, can you, can you think of any, we're going to see if we'll take some, could you think of any, anyone willing to share their thing? This is always the worst test. Les, what do you have? <laughs> right to the top, right to the top, right? I mean, none of us want to die right there, right? Yeah, yeah. So you'd want to be with people getting ready to face you, yeah, right to the top. Okay, we should have called on you last to just next time give me a sign if you've got like, if anyone says die on the cross, that is the absolute last one. You can't raise your hand until everyone else. Anyone else have one? Where Jesus, yeah, Barbara. Yeah, exactly. So he stand, in Mark, he stands next to this woman who is like, everyone is about to kill her, and then he's the guy who stands by her side. How many of us want to do that, right? I mean, how many of us want to stand next to the person on the electric chair and say, I am going to defend this person? None of us. Do we have any other ones? Yeah, Scott. Yeah, feeding the 5,000. So that story, and we're going to cover it. So not today, but um, 5,000, he he's totally exhausted, and it says he needs a break, so he gets into a boat. I can't say boat without sounding from Wisconsin. So he gets into a, a structure that goes on water, and he goes all the way across, right? And then where are the people? They beat him there, which would be like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, just imagine trying to hide from your kids, and then you, like, you open the door, and you're like, how did you find the garage code? You know, like, so that's exactly what happened. And what does he do, though? Jesus doesn't walk away. He doesn't just, like, turn the structure on the water around. Instead, he's, he's, it says his heart went out to them. He had compassion on them. Can you think of other instances? Yeah, Stacia? Right, no 12-year-old wants to go to church, okay? <laughs> is that what you meant? No, I'm kidding. Oh, maybe me as a 12-year-old did not want to go to church, right? This is very difficult, but instead he goes there and he's, and he's working with the teachers of the law and he's trying to talk to them. It's pretty a neat, neat situation. Other ones? I think of a couple. I mean, um, Thief on the Cross is a great example. I think of Zacchaeus. This is a guy that no one liked. He's a tax collector and he climbs to this tree and, de- and, and socially, it would have been just as easy to say, hey, join the crowd. But instead, he says, I'm going to go to your house. And I think one of the best examples um, that we have in Scripture, Luke 5, this was our reading, so I'll just read part of it. Um, one day, Jesus is teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, so he's got his enemies kind of there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into uh, the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I'm just thinking of this situation. As a kid, you just see that, and I think, oh, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> Have any of you ever, like, broken a ceiling? What happens when you break up a ceiling, regardless of the structural you know, materials used? So we, we had to check which way the rafters go in our building, so you know, naturally I took a hammer and I poked it through the drywall. But what happens when you smash the drywall? Have you ever done this? Like the dust comes down, and if you've been working hard, you never want to work hard with this. You've got to feel like not sweaty, because what happens? Like the dust comes down, do you know which feeling I mean? Demo is awesome when you can take a shower, but now just imagine like the dust landing on you. Even when you go up to your attic, I bet, when you take off like that little thing to go up, any of you have that? There's always dust. I don't even know where it comes from, and like the insulation comes down and it makes a mess. Imagine being like you're sharing, you're at work, and you have this important meeting and you're sharing this awesome information, and then suddenly like the ceiling tiles are coming down on your neck, because that's the worst spot to get hit, right? And your hair is fine, but you get it like on your neck and the dust and I would, don't think I'd be pleased. But you wonder how far did these guys travel from? 
It says they came from everywhere, and we don't know how far, but you try carrying a human being on a mat. That's not a super pleasant experience. I mean, your kid gets heavy at about, what, 40 pounds? And that's when they get older and they sit on your lap and then you're hot and you're like, okay, dad needs a break. And so they have this man, and that's like 40, 50 pounds each. We have no idea how far they went. But they love their friend enough to go all the way to Jesus. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus loves this man enough in this moment where it would be uncomfortable to forgive. So he says, when he saw their faith, and this is what's interesting, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, of course, are not happy. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God, and so did his friends because they didn't have to carry him. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Um, Before we get into talking as a friend, I thought we should talk on one thing. Um, Who's the Savior of the world? This should be easy. Jesus, right? Jesus, when, uh, after he sees Zacchaeus, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the one that is our respite, and Jesus is the one that brings us peace. Before you even, we even get into what it means to love people locally, there's things you're going to be. We're going to use three Bs. But there's one thing you don't have to be, and that's the Savior. You don't have to be the person that saves people. You don't have to be Jesus. And I know it says in Ephesians, right, uh, follow God's example. But when God says follow his example, um, we go into people's lives not so that they lean on us. So I just read a book. Um, i got to think of the name of it. It was roughly Never Meet Halfway. Has anyone read this book? It's a negotiating book. If you have kids, you should read it. <laughs> um, so there's a book, Never Meet Halfway. So he's an FBI agent, and his job is to negotiate hostage situations. So in training, he, this was his dream, so he tried to get into it, and he begged and begged at his, uh, the person in charge of him, and he says, I want to be a hostage negotiator, and she says, literally everybody wants to be a hostage negotiator in the FBI. So he says, no, no, I really want to. She says, okay, go volunteer at the suicide hotline place. So he goes there, and this is a pretty intense guy when you read it. So he goes there, and he gets his first call, and he, and he, um, he gets the call, and the guy calls. He's a regular, so he talks to him, and at the end, the guy is so thankful to him. He's like, I thank you so much for listening to me. I couldn't have done it without you. You know, I'm not gonna, I don't feel in danger. And he hangs up, and this guy's pumped, right? He just prevented a suicide. He's super pumped. And he goes to the, his supervisor office, uh, office, and he says, I wanted to kick my feet up on the desk because I felt so pro. And the guy, his supervisor said, that was the worst call I've ever heard. Why was it the worst call? The goal of a suicide hotline is to empower people to take care of themselves, not to think, I need to call and I've I got to rely on this person. And, and I only bring this up because most people, I, when I talk about being a great friend, be a great friend for your friend. Don't be a great friend because you want that person to give you praise. Don't be a great friend because you need to feel needed. 
And that's where you get your strength from. Don't be a great parent because you want your kids to lean on you and they can't function without you. Our job is not to be Jesus. Our job is to point people to Jesus, empower them in the God who brings forgiveness and love and the God who said, I left comfortable to come to this planet because of you. You don't need me. As a pastor, you don't need me. My job is to point to Jesus. So as we t- that's the overarching thing here. Don't try and be Jesus. Don't try and be a savior. But with that, there's a couple things I think we pick up. One is be genuine. You ever had a dinner with someone and you only figured out later that it was a business meeting? And you thought they were your friend? Has this happened to anybody? I had a friend, and I've, I've shared this story before, and um, I'm, this is not against the product he was doing. So I, we were on a committee together, and he called me out of the blue after like two years. And I thought, this is really cool. How you doing? And we're talking for a little while, and he's like, hey, I'd like to share something that's really important to me. It, does anyone know what's coming? Melaleuca. So he wanted me, Melaleuca, I know people that love it, but I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I went through all this effort and we scheduled up a meeting because you wanted to talk to me about a product? Like I felt duped. Same thing happened with another friend. I hadn't talked to him in like since high school. And he was one of my friends, Jeff. And I'm like, it is so good to hear from you. How you doing? And we're talking for a while. And then he wanted me to join something where you buy books or something like that. I'm like, I was actually, I haven't talked to either one since. So don't try and sell me things. That's the takeaway. No, I, I, maybe I'm a jerk. But I, I was actually kind of hurt because I thought it felt like it was like a bait and switch and a trick. And I was sensitive to that because I was like really excited to try and reach out to them. And then I wondered where's my friendship stand with the two of them. So when you're talking to people, there's an, there, there needs to be an authenticity. And I'd like to think our church, when we talk about the three things that make up our church, we have three things. Uh, one is kind of like the, a traditional with the modern. Uh, the second thing is we step up for things. And the third thing, does anyone know what it is? We don't share it that often. Be genuine. And I'd like to think when you interact with me, it's the same Jared here, that it's the same Jared out there. And I'd like to think when your friends know you, there's not like church Bill or church, uh, I, I was going to say Amy, but we got like seven Amys. And one's my wife, so I didn't say Amy. Uh, church Velma. We have no Belmas. So when you're reaching out to your love, your local community, um, be authentic. This is who you are, and it's not just trying to get end means, even if that means you're trying to get someone to church. Someone said, how can you possibly invite someone to church if you haven't even thought about going to coffee with them? And I think there's something to that that says, do you actually care about this individual, or are you just trying to punch somebody off your list? Uh, second thing is be available. This is probably one of the hardest ones, I think. Most of us can be pretty authentic. Uh, We're not talking about wearing masks and things like that, but be available. And I think I read a book, and this is how they put it together. So this is our math problem. Are you ready? Unhurried time. That doesn't mean you're just sitting around all day. But unhurried time plus proximity, propinquitous, plus doing something. This is how many more? (laughs) This is like problems when you get into fifth grade math. There's three things. Equals. This is hard to do in this format, just by the way. Conversations. The, being available means you're able to talk to people, and I think all these are true. Unhurried time, when I think of uh, being near someone and actually doing something is where you have conversations. The setup crew, I think you're going to miss things, to be honest, when we're, we have our own building. I think you're going to miss it because, well, slightly hurried time plus proximity plus setting up equals conversations. I bet many of you know people from church just from doing setup. And I think we're going to miss that. And you have a conversation, you're able to talk to someone but what are you talking to them about? Stuff that's important to you. So 
there is rarely a thing where I've had unhurried time plus proximity plus doing something where I regretted doing it, besides the Renaissance Fair and a lot of movies and about a third of the conferences I go to. But besides those, I call it the softball effect. So if you were going to stereotype me, I play softball every week, um, as someone who uh, plays softball, how do you think I view those games on Monday? Like, what's my attitude Monday morning? So I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm asking you to guess, and don't say your stereotypes out loud, because I already know what some of you are thinking. I actually don't enjoy softball that much. I mean, I, strangely, there's rarely a Monday I wake up and go, yeah, softball day. You know, and I'm like putting on my headband and putting on the polyester pants and the uncomfortable shoes. And like, there is not a single Monday where that happens. You can ask my wife, how often do I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. I just don't want to go. But here's the softball effect. Every single Monday, after hanging out with the guys, I come back on my drive home and go, man, that was fun. That was good. I'm glad I went. You know, every single Monday this happens. I have no interest to go, and I leave coming back. And I shouldn't say this out loud, but there's more than one time, like with a grow group with church, there's grow groups I'm pumped for, and then there's grow groups where I'm like, oh, if I could just sit on the couch with my Amazon box, not talk to people. There has never been, and, I, and this is not a lie, there's never been a grow group that I came back disappointed. Every single time around people and God's word, I say to myself, I'm so glad I went. And I don't wonder if your life is like that. You get invited to parties, you get invited to do stuff with people, you get invited to go to things. It doesn't mean you're going to love everything and the anticipation, right? But I bet every single time, there's rarely a time where you regret having unhurried time in proximity and having these conversations. But where do these lead? Being a friend. You're not going to be a friend to every single person. Right? Jesus wasn't best buddies with everybody. But in the midst of these conversations, in the midst of these relationships, we've got new math. Here's how it works. This one gets longer. You ready? Unhurried time plus proximity plus doing something equals conversations. That is, conversation is not friendship. You have people who say that. They're like, oh, I'm friends with them. They just know somebody. They had a conversation with them. Conversations plus vulnerability equals friendships. When you talk to people and you get in these conversations, there's going to be people that you have a connection with naturally, and you're going to open up your world just a little bit. And you're going to open up your world a little bit. C.S. Lewis, when he talks about friendship, says, and this is a paraphrase, it's that friendship happens that moment, that moment in time where you're talking to someone and you say, wait, I thought I was the only one. And you have this connection. You're the, and you find someone who also feels the same way about things. You find someone who enjoys the same things that you enjoy. You find someone who thinks the same way you think. And that's where these friendships start. So what do you naturally do? You talk about the things that you enjoy. And maybe that's going to the Renaissance Fair. Maybe that's um, it's biking. Maybe it's playing softball. Maybe it's whatever. Maybe it's certain work or projects. You find things that you enjoy and you talk about those things. And of course, what's the most important thing to you? Your faith. And that's ultimately where we get to that. I'm saying we proclaim God's word to everybody, but I think you're the most effective, if you look at it that way, with your friends. Because they've seen part of your world. They've seen the things you're a little embarrassed about. They've seen uh, what you enjoy, even though you don't want to say it out loud. Right? This is, they've seen these things. 
and they see into your heart and they see your world and you have a chance to say, here's what really matters to me, a savior of the world, who, the actual savior, not me, someone who loves you more than ever I can love you, someone who brings forgiveness. Last thing, enjoy the ride. Uh, you'd recognize this as New York. That's what New York looks like. It's in black and white except for the taxis. There's 13,000 taxis there. So there's a story, um, a true story about a taxi driver. And this was his, uh, going to be middle of his day. He goes to pick up this, um, goes to the house and honks his horn and he waits. And nothing happens. And he says, and when he's telling the story, he's like, I don't even know why. I didn't just go on to find something else. But he decides he's going to go up to the door, knocks on the door and he hears the shuffling and it's a lady that's over 90 years old. And she makes her way, and there's sheets over all her furniture, and she makes her way into the cab, and she tells him the address. He says, okay. And uh, she says, I'd like to go through downtown. And he goes, well, that actually takes longer. And she goes, that's okay, because I'm on my way to hospice. So he shuts off his clicker, or his counter, and he drives, and he sees like where she lived as a newlywed. Her husband's gone. She has no family left. Um, sees where she grew up sees the dance hall that's now a warehouse when she was a little girl, gets to see where she operated as an elevator uh, person, an elevator attendant. And finally, after a few hours, they make their way to the hospice and the orderlies come and she goes to pay and he refuses. And here's what he says about it. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of that day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten, on, gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once, then driven away? On quick review, I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. I don't know what your situations are. Love your friends. Be patient. Be genuine. Be vulnerable. And share the one thing that matters because I guarantee a quick review, that's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life.